with all the trouble I've been having with my laptop keyboard, I was thinking about, for on the spot, making you pick winners, and you couldn't use the letters G or H. It has been so frustrating to me over the course of the last couple of days in that, you know, any word ending in ing, anytime I would like to type the or that or, you know, this or home, I have to go copy and paste an H from somewhere or hope it's like the one time in five that my keyboard is actually working. That is 100% my on the spot for you, by the way. <laughs> is it actually? Yes. <laughs> It's a good thing that we didn't both do that because that would be embarrassing and totally precedented. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Greg Thomas. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, the weekly podcast about the largest division of college football, where everything happens. We welcome you to podcast number 290, season 15, episode 12, or, you know, the podcast for October 18th of 2021. I'm Pat Coleman, the editor and publisher of D3Football.com. And I'm Greg Thomas. I write Around the Nation, the column. You know, Pat, this week we had a lot of teams slip into they took that first loss Wilkes, Wabash, Johns Hopkins they're now in playoff mode and here on Around the Nation we're always in playoff mode mostly because the format of the show doesn't change that much from regular season to the postseason but we're always focused on the end game which is our tournament and national championship and what is the national championship for this podcast right it's that I think our national championship is either that show that we do with like four of us just kind of spitballing for an hour on Thursday night before the Friday night game, or frankly, it's that five hour broadcast that we do of the game with all the pregame with an hour long postgame show that is like extended D3 football podcast. That's really our championship game. That's our Super Bowl. That's our Stag Bowl. That's right. And we, we come prepared every year with all of the goodies, the pregame the post game, the in game, the halftime, all of it, all Americans. I tell you, um, it's been a little while, obviously, because uh, Dave McHugh hasn't been at the past couple of stag bowls, but he used to bring actual goodies. Do you remember the cookies that he that his I assume his wife would bake? Although I'm sure Dave is capable of. Uh, you remember he would bring he would bring cookies, and that was awesome and totally unnecessary. I'm always in favor of people bringing cookies. I was at uh, the one. What well, I've been to one stag bowl with Dave McHugh. Uh, it was uh, the final stag bowl in Salem. And I remember setting up our pregame set in what felt like hundred mile an hour winds at Salem stadium. Um, that was a fun show. We had lights tip over. It was, it was good times. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria is basically what it felt like at the end of this game between UW Platteville and UW Lacrosse. I know we're just basically going to jump right into this, right? Uh, it was a game, you know, paying some attention to it, obviously, but the game between, you know, uh, Oshkosh and Whitewater began to get a little less interesting. I think then it began to get over and flip over to this game. And oh, you know, it is still really close for not really sure what reason. And man, if Platteville didn't have really two chances to win it in the final five minutes, they had a chance to win it or at least to tie it, or possibly to win it, before that clip that everybody has now seen. 
Yeah, you know, and this one felt a little bit trappy for lacrosse after a big home win last week against Oshkosh. They're going on the road to Platteville, who has, in my opinion, a really deceiving one and four record. Uh, Platteville did indeed make life difficult for the Eagles. They limited lacrosse to just 276 yards of total offense. Jacob Parks struggled through an eight for 20 day passing. And Jake Simun- Simunchak? Pronunciation 101. Budavistic. Monon Belt. Budavistic. Gallardi. Muhlenberg. He did impact the game, but he was held without a reception. So, you know, the Eagles defense really stepped up. They forced five turnovers, which is generally how you survive a game where you get outgained by nearly 200 yards. And when I say survived, I really mean it because, you know, as you said, the end of this game, really unforgettable. I would play this clip again, but it's already been all over the place, including on our Twitter account, in our lead story on you know, TV networks and that sort of thing. This uh, this clip was so widespread that Platteville coach Mike Emmendorfer issued a statement of support for Colin Schutz on social media that was very touching. And, and we'll have a little bit more of that thing later on in this podcast. Um, you know, we haven't really done rising and falling in the pod this season, but I figured they really had to touch on lacrosse losing three spots this week after a win. And it's really, you know, the Eagles were at the top of a very tightly packed five-team stack. They were all within 33 points of each other, which is basically... If you're doing the math at home, it's like 1.3 spots on a ballot where five teams are all crammed in. So, you know, one of those teams in that five-team stack lost. Johns Hopkins fell out of that group, and UW Lacrosse won, but they fell to the bottom of the stack. And probably about right. I mean, right, it's a W on the ledger, and every coach is going to count it as a W. And I guess I would love to go see how the coach votes compared to everybody else votes in our poll on that. Uh, but it's a moral defeat, if that's a thing. And and that's, of course, and we have to concede that for it to be an actual defeat, Platteville would have had to make the field goal if it had even gotten an attempt to kick it. That's right. And I was really curious to see what would happen to lacrosse in the poll this week as a result of the way that this game ended. I did not move lacrosse down on my ballot, but I'm not at all surprised to see that some voters did react to the result of that game with some downward adjustment for the Eagles. And while the Eagles may have lost some poll positions, I'm sure they're happy to stay undefeated in WIAC play by any means necessary and then regroup for UW Stout next Saturday. Stout, which beats Stevens Point 37 to 12, the second win for Stout against Stevens Point this season. Uh, of course, that was not the only key Wyatt game of the day for sure. That makes sense when you have three ranked teams and the other two were playing each other. Yes, UW-Whitewater made sure there would be no repeat of the 2019 regular season finale with a pretty emphatic 32-13 win at Oshkosh. The Titans took an early lead and they held Whitewater in check through the game's first 15 minutes, but Whitewater scored 22 points in the second quarter, which was more than enough to stay undefeated this season. Oshkosh was limited to just 217 yards of total offense as the Warhawk defense had a stellar day. Ryan Liska intercepted two Oshkosh passes, returning that second interception 31 yards for a touchdown that put the game on ice late in the fourth quarter. Nobody should ever look too far ahead in the WIAC, but I'm starting to look at that November 6th game at Perkins Stadium against Lacrosse as the game that will define the order of finish in the WIAC and whether or not the WIAC can place two teams in the postseason once again. So this game featured another play that probably would have gotten a lot of run if not for the other thing that happened like you know 30 minutes or so later we're talking about uh uw oshkosh player uh taking a kickoff 
kind of glancing off of his shoulders. He's standing at about the two-yard line. Ball goes into the end zone. We have talked about this on this podcast before. You do not have to bring it out if you do not possess it outside the end zone. And I had that, uh, I checked that again this past weekend. It still seems to be true. Um, but this guy's a freshman, and so maybe you don't know these things, right? And uh, so he brings it. he brings it out. There's a wall of whitewater players. He brings it back into the end zone and tries to sweep all the way from the right-hand side to the left-hand side to find something that resembles open field. Oddly enough, that does not work. That, that does not work. It really never works. Not against, not against whitewater, no. No, right? No, there's a whole lot of teams that have all of this uh, lateral speed, and obviously whitewater also has it on special teams, not just up front uh, on uh, defense. And... Uh, you know, basically what was uh, what was determined in the middle of this scrum was that he tried to throw a lateral forward in the end zone to try to get rid of the football, to try to avoid try to avoid getting uh, getting taken down for a safety. That is also a safety when you commit a, uh, a, a foul in the end zone of that nature. Um, that again, that's a thing that would have gotten a little more run if it had not been for the other stuff that happened later. You know, it makes sense to me. Just throw that thing away. You're going to, you're giving up two points anyway. You might as well not get body slammed on while doing it. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes. And again, don't bring it out of the end zone in the first place. If you don't possess it outside the end zone, you're able to go back into the end zone to pick up the ball and you can still down it. All right. Switching gears out of the Midwest or out of region six, out of the six. Is that what we're going to call it? Anyway, into the two, the newly augmented region two. We should talk about that at some point in this podcast. Um, and we'll go into a, no, let's do this right now. Let's do this right now because what the heck we uh, learned this week, we were told on Thursday morning, hey, by the way, from a member of uh, one of the uh, regional, uh, one of the, the, one of the regional advisory committees, like what does RAC actually stand for? Regional advisory committees who said, hey, did you know that so-and-so conference is now in on, in our region and on our call. I was very confused. And I'm like, hey, this is news to us because it had been the thing that people had been campaigning for basically all along. And for those of the, you who don't know, what they did was they took the American Southwest Conference out of Region 6 and put it in Region 3 where they are with the SAA, for example. And then to compensate for, you know, numbers and space and that sort of thing, they took the PAC, the President's Athletic Conference, out of Region 3 and dropped it into Region 2. I'm doing this thing here that you can't see because this is an audio podcast where I've just lifted teams out of the West and dropped them into the South Atlantic and taken teams out of the South Atlantic and dropped them into New York, basically. But here's the thing. I have a feeling that this was not just done on Wednesday or on Thursday, that this has probably been done for quite some time and nobody bothered to tell anybody. I don't know when the regional advisory committee calls started. Um, so I don't know if ASC reps were on calls for the six before they got reassigned to the three. But, um, you know, yeah, it doesn't sound like a thing that happened just on Wednesday or I guess it was Thursday. About Thursday's when we learned, but who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yes, 20 minutes after you publish your Around the Nation <laughs> column with detailed analysis of every region and yes. the pool C hopes and the change of the regions on you. That's okay, though. Get me rewrite. Uh, yeah, so it, it makes sense to put the ASC into Region 3. That always made sense. It also sort of helps alleviate some of the top heaviness of region six and rebalance things a little bit better. 
better, not great still, but yeah, it just, it's a move that makes sense. And some people may, you know, you may be frustrated by seeing these things move around mid season, but better they do it now before we start ranking teams than after, you know, and if it, like, this is a thing, it doesn't look great to do it mid season, but if you're going to do it, now's the time to do it. And I think this is, it's a better arrangement all the way around, I think. Yeah, we would have learned uh, whenever they got around to publishing this thing that's called uh, informally called the Championships Handbook or more correctly, the Pre-Championship Manual. It's this guiding book that is actually, if you are a big D3 fan and want to learn a little bit more about how they rank and select teams and how they seed them and all the other things that go on at playoff games, like how many people can be in uniform on the sidelines, how big of a band you can have, how many people can travel, when you have to have your roster set. All sorts of interesting stuff in there. I highly recommend reading it, and we'll send out a link to it whenever it's available. Uh, Once that document would have uh, eventually gotten published, we all would have learned and been scrambling maybe at the last moment. Maybe we would have gotten that first set of regional rankings and been surprised at that point. It is an alphabetical set of regional rankings that they are going to foist upon us here in this... uh, this that's a whole other effing podcast and I'm I'm just going to move on from that. Or maybe we're going to move on from the whole thing. All right. Into region 2. The newly augmented region 2, one of our Friday night games where they're playing here in Allentown. That's right. In the 2, this game had the number 1 and number 6 leading passers in the nation coming into the game. So of course, we all expect the ball to be flying all over the field, explosive offensive plays left and right, 80 plus points on the board. No, not at all. Defenses came to play on Friday night in the Centennial Conference as Muhlenberg ground out a 21-6 win over the visiting Johns Hopkins Blue Jays to keep their Centennial Conference and postseason hopes alive. Ryan Stevens, who's having the best non-Blaine Hawkins season at quarterback in the division, he was held to just 275 yards passing, zero touchdowns, and Muhlenberg intercepted him twice. Michael Natkowski was just 15 of 30 passing for the Mules, but he did a good job protecting the ball and controlling the game, particularly in the second half. His fourth and 11 touchdown pass to Thomas Jenkins was delivered perfectly right on the end line to put the Mules ahead 14 to zero in the third quarter. Lurking down the road in the Centennial Conference now, you have Susquehanna. The Riverhawks, they are undefeated, but they haven't played Muhlenberg and Johns Hopkins. They have those games coming on consecutive weeks in nine and 10. And so the Centennial, still wide open, still heading for an exciting finish. We're going to move from Region 2 now to Region 3 in a big game in the Southern Athletic Association. Yes, Birmingham Southern. They have steamrolled everybody they've played so far this season against a relatively soft schedule, Huntington excluded. Uh, Their first real SAA road challenge came this weekend at Center and the Panthers. They got pressed, but they did get out of Danville with a 28-21 win. Center jumped out to a 13-0 lead with a scoop and score of a Birmingham Southern quarterback. Uh, Trey Patterson fumbled deep in Panther territory in the first quarter. The Panthers clawed back, see what I did there, in the second quarter. to took a 14-13 halftime lead. Uh, Trenton Duper, I'm going to get that right this week, Trenton Duper put the Colonels back in the lead in the third quarter. But once again, the Panthers dominated the even quarters in this game. Uh, Trey Patterson made amends for that first quarter fumble with a 65-yard touchdown run right through the middle of the field, and that put Birmingham Southern ahead 28-21. That was the final score of the game. The Panther defense 
They shut the Colonels down over the last 12 minutes of the game. Birmingham Southern, they remain undefeated. They keep pace in the SAA with Trinity atop the SAA standings. Coming up in just a minute, we will be joined by Kyle Rooker. He's the head coach of North Park, his team victorious on Saturday. He joined us from the sidelines of his daughter's soccer game on a Sunday morning. So we thank him for that, and we'll have him in just a moment. But we couldn't do any of that without having the help from our supporters here at d3sports.com. And in this way, specifically, Greg, I am talking about the people who have signed up via Patreon to be regular supporters and donators to the d3sports.com cause and the cause of this podcast. That's right. It, as, as you know, if you listen every week, you know that uh, d3sports.com, a little bit on the ropes during the, during the sports shutdown. Uh, we used, really relied on the generosity of our Patreon subscribers and their support financially to keep the sites running and to keep us running into this new 2020 season. And because of all of that help that we get from Patreon, we're able to provide all of this great coverage. All of this great coverage here in 2021 because of the folks who subscribe to us via Patreon. I get it, man. I want to wipe 2020 off the map, too. Um, It's like it didn't happen in so many ways, but it could have, uh, indeed, it could have uh, taken us under. So thankfully, those people who have signed up to uh, support us, they go to patreon.com slash d3sports, and you could sign up for as little as $3 a month. You'd be supporting us. You'd get some bonus content from us. You'd get some kind of behind-the-scenes information on a semi-regular basis. This past week, I just wrote a big, long piece about how we choose the players who are on the D3Football.com Team of the Week. If you ever want to know why did we choose X player and not Y player, that's a guide that might help you. It might be interesting for you to know. It, It might not, but I tell you, I have spent 23 seasons selecting this honor roll on a weekly basis and I've definitely developed some basic tenets and those are the sort of things that I shared with our audience and hey if you're a basketball fan got basketball stuff coming up too the uh, men's basketball d3hoops.com top 25 dropped on Friday the women's basketball one is going to drop on Monday I owe Gordon Mann a ballot but it's going to drop on Monday so keep an eye out for those things and that is the sort of stuff that you will get uh, behind the scenes stuff extra info a lot of extra analysis we'll do all our breaking news out on Twitter and on the website but you'll get the analysis over at our Patreon site and we're very thankful once again for all of that support go to patreon.com slash d3sports Time for a tight five with Kyle Rooker, the head coach at North Park. His team victorious on Saturday, 33-30 to 30 at Carthage. Coach, first off, congratulations on the win, especially against your former team, a team you used to coach. How did that feel? Well, first of all, Pat, thank you very much for, for having me this morning. I appreciate it, and uh, it feels great. It feels great. Anytime you can get a, uh, a college football win on a Saturday, it's a, it's a great day, and um, you know, especially in our conference and against an opponent, as you mentioned, where I've, I've got a little history there. Um, I, I know a lot of people at Carthage still and a lot of friends there, so it was good to go back and, and find a way to get that W. 
North Park hasn't won at Carthage since 1992. And of course, it has often been, although not always, that when Car- uh, when North Park wins a conference game, it's kind of front page news at D3 football because it hasn't happened all that often. What's it going to take for you guys to continue this rebuilding process and begin to compete on a more regular basis in the CCIW? Yeah, no, um, you know, ultimately, Pat, we want to get to the point to where it's not, you know, front page news every time North Park wins a conference game. And uh, how we do that, we, we believe as a coaching staff is, is recruit, retain, and develop develop our young men you know for us we talk about doing things the right way and recruiting the right type of young men for our program and, and that really embodies four characteristics uh, good player committed student uh, good person and a, and a young man who truly loves the game of football um, and, and when we get enough of those guys here and and you know continue to, to do the things they're already starting to do work really hard day in and day out commit to the process uh, we believe we're going to have success over the long t- uh, over the long haul here but um, it's a work in progress, especially in this league. You guys have this quirky little athletic facility set up, tucked into not a lot of space, landlocked in Chicago, football overlaps with softball and such. What's it like working in that area and sharing it with other groups? First of all, one of the things that, you know, I guess attracted me to North Park and, and a lot of people might say, well, why were you attracted to North Park to begin with? Because the, the track record of success on the football field. But a lot of it had to do with the people, to be honest with you. Um, and, and the other coaches, you know, I've got a really good working relationship with the, the baseball coach, the softball coach, both soccer coaches. And, and really, I think all the coaches uh, within our department, um, our athletic director, John Warren's, uh, you know, a tremendous guy and he's done a great job. Um, you know, our previous athletic director, Jack Surridge, was very supportive as well. So, you know, that helps when you have good relationships with the people that you work with um, in terms of recruiting. And, you know, I don't know when the last time you've been there, if you've ever been there, but, you know, it's a it is a unique facility, uh, but it's a pretty cool facility. Um, you know, when you start talking about the amount of space we have, first and foremost, you know, on Saturday afternoons, everybody's playing 120 by 53 and a third. But most of your week, uh, most of your work is done during the week. And, you know, during the week, we have as much practice facility and practice space as anyone in the country because we have the baseball field, the softball field all connected to our football field. So it really is conducive to, to you know, generating the most efficient and effective practices possible. Uh, we also do have a t- another turf field that's just south of our stadium. Um, that that's a co-op between North Park and the and the uh, city of Chicago, excuse me, that we have access to. We typically practice in the stadium. Um, some of our other teams practice there, but but we've got a lot of space. Um, it, it is different. It is unique. Um, and, and we try to sell it in that manner. I think 2016 was the last time I was there. I was there for a, a night game against Anderson, and I, I agree. It's definitely it's quirky and it's in a fun spot, and I do like that. Uh, tell us a little bit about freshman quarterback Matt Eck here as we wrap up. You know, what has his improvement curve been like, and what do you hope to see from him for the rest of the season? Yeah, Matt's uh, first. First of all, he's a great young man. Um, loves the game of football. He's a student of the game. Um, you know, he's really starting to to grasp the offense. You know, he was a guy. We we had a. I would say four guys coming into camp because we had graduated the kid who had played for us previously that had a legitimate chance to come out of camp and be the guy. Uh, Matt earned the job uh, through his performance day in and day out, did some good things, but but struggled a little bit uh, week one and week two. We did play two very good football teams in, in Bethel and Wash U to start the season. And then we actually went with uh, another guy who transferred week three against Wheaton who did some good things, but then had some struggles the last couple of weeks. So Matt's been resilient as well. He's hung with us. 
He came in in the second half, actually late second quarter against Carroll uh, a week ago, played very, very well, threw for like 460 or something in, in two and a half quarters, and then uh, played well yesterday. Uh, we think he's got a chance to be a really, really good player in this league and at this level, and and he's just just starting to understand, you know, what it takes to play, you know, the quarterback position in our conference and, and within our system. Obviously, it's only a slight exaggeration to say, Greg, that uh, North Park gets on the front page of D3Football.com every time they win a conference game. But to go up to Carthage and win, especially after the uh, you know the early part of the season that Carthage had had, is a little bit more intriguing. Uh, even though, of course, over the course of the past couple of years, over the course of the past three full seasons, North Park has won four conference games, but has never really been able to break through. I mean, the high watermark is three and seven, three and four back in 2013. Yes, and you know they've got sort of a, a new voice here with Kyle Rooker. He's a guy that knows the CCIW. Obviously, he came from Carthage, and you know maybe they found something uh, really positive here with Matt Eck. And you know when you're when you're building something from North Park, you you kind of need a, a cornerstone to to start from, and maybe a quarterback that they can sling it around and score a bunch of points on, score a bunch of points with. Um, you know, maybe that's a starting place for North Park where, you know, maybe as the defense catches up to them a little bit, maybe they can outscore a few people in the CCIW and and build on that three-win high-water mark. I mean, I have heard, and we have talked to coaches who are starting brand new programs, right, from the ground up, that you have a choice, right? You could, if you've got a bunch of athletes who can, you know, make an impact on the game, on the team, on one side of the ball or the other, you can either choose to put them on defense and keep the games close and, you know, try to win low-scoring games, or you can put them on offense and try to win high-scoring games and generate a lot of interest and a lot of buzz, Um I can only assume that there are probably some people who try to do both. And North Park isn't starting from zero. I mean, it's an established program. Um, and like I said, you know, they have won games even in the recent past. But, you know, every time a new coach comes in and has to kind of restart this program and restart this program and restart this program, I wonder if sometimes you have kind of that, you know, brand new program mindset. You do. But I, and I think something that Kyle Rooker has going for him here is he's not completely changing the the program i believe the last time north park changed coaches they switched from you know a, a triple option style kind of offense to a more traditional style offense and when you do that you need all new personnel really you've got to reteach everything to everybody and the i think the runway to get going on on a program like that is a lot longer than than perhaps what kyle rooker has inherited here yeah that was mike conway who took over in 2013 and then they snapped an 89-game conference losing streak. And, you know, now they have, uh, as you say, multiple years, almost every year since then, they have won at least one conference game. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, North Park has Elmhurst on Saturday, uh, you know, based on how the season has gone so far. I think that's a game where North Park c can compete with, uh, you know, some expectations. And then, you know, they go to Illinois Wesleyan. Going to Illinois Wesleyan is not easy, but Illinois Wesleyan has not played very well this year. Um and then they have Milliken, and then there's North Central. So maybe we won't won't talk about that, but still has the all the makings of being a pretty good season once it's all said and done for the Vikings. Game ball. Game ball. Game balls. Game balls. Game it's time balls. for game balls, and my game ball is going to, well, you know, now you might recognize a pattern. 
It's the same sort of pattern I use actually when selecting team of the week. Come, uh, come to think of it, I just can't resist someone who returns two punts for touchdowns in the same game. So my game ball goes to Dante Jamison, who returned two punts for scores as Kane won on homecoming, improved to 500 overall, and moved to 3-0 in the end jack with a 20-7 win against TCNJ. He took those kicks back from 63 and 70 yards away to help Kane get out to a 17-0 lead at halftime against the Lions. These three conference wins for the Cougars equals their total from the previous two conference seasons combined. And Dan Garrett, head coach, has to be pretty happy with how his team has bounced back from season opening losses to Delaware Valley, Utica, and Merchant Marine. Excellent pronunciation there. My game ball is going to Muhlenberg linebacker Spencer Kieran. The Muhlenberg defense was lights out against the juggernaut that is the Johns Hopkins offense, as we talked about earlier. Kieran led the Mule defense with seven tackles, and he added a pass breakup, but his biggest play of the game was the one that got Muhlenberg on the board in the second quarter. Matt Height from Mule TV picks this one up midway through the second quarter. Tim Fitzpatrick back deep at his own 20 for Muhlenberg. And this one is blocked! And picking up is Spencer Kieran! It's going to be a Muhlenberg touchdown! On the block punt! Penalty flag comes in. That's going to be an excessive celebration, I'm sure. But can you blame them? Muhlenberg getting good pressure up the middle all night. They've had a blocked field goal already. Nearly a blocked punt on the previous punt. And now Spencer Kieran comes in. And the ball with a fortuitous bounce. Kieran takes it the distance. And Frank Rossi has... Some quick words from Spencer Kieran about that punt block. Okay, so give me the thought process. You block a punt, you see it rolling on the ground, and you see the house uh, kind of in your uh, view. What were you thinking in the whole thing? Honestly, when I blocked it, I didn't know where it was. I look up and I see it, and all I was thinking was, I hope it takes a nice hop so I can catch it clean. And I got lucky, and it did bounce right to me, and I just ran to the end zone. Muhlenberg had already blocked a field goal in this game and had been close on a couple of other Hopkins punt attempts. Kieran blocked this kick with one hand. The ball took a perfect bounce right up to right up to Kieran, and he walked it right in for the Muhlenberg score. On a night when Muhlenberg's defense absolutely had to have it, they did, and Spencer Kieran was the spark that helped Muhlenberg come away with this victory that they absolutely had to have. Venturing a little further afield for the off-the-beaten-path highlight, and my featured highlight is not one that's going to show up in any box score took place at the end of regulation as Rhodes kicked a 28-yard field goal on the final play of the fourth quarter to tie the game at 10 against Hendricks. And then the two coaches come out to midfield for the overtime coin toss, and you get a big bear hug between Hendricks coach Buck Buchanan and Rhodes coach Rich Duncan. So Duncan's in his first year as the head coach of the Lynx, but he's hardly new to the SAA. He was the offensive coordinator at Barry for nine seasons before taking the Rhodes job this uh, this past offseason. Obviously, there's no audio of this encounter. Like, this is not, you know, there's no NFL Films crew down there. There's no parabolic mic to hear what was said, but the video made it clear how much respect and mutual admiration there was between these two, not to mention kind of just the joviality of these two at, at a very tense moment. Each team then went on to block a field goal in the first overtime, and then Rhodes went on to win 16-13 in the second extra session. And I'm going to stay in the three for my off-the-beaten-path highlight. I'm going to go to Ferrum, Virginia, where the Ferrum Panthers improved to 5-1 and one on the season with a thrilling 24-23 win over Shenandoah. Shenandoah took a 23-21 lead with just 1 minute and 47 seconds left to play, but Ferrum quarterback Titus Jones led a tidy little two-minute drive to get the Panthers in scoring range Pass interference on Shenandoah with just seven seconds left brought Ferrum into the red zone, 
and set up this field goal attempt for freshman kicker Seth Deaton. 35-yard attempt coming off the foot of Seth Deaton. Titus Jones to hold. Snaps good, holds good, kick is up, and the kick will find its way through the uprights with three seconds left on the game clock. Seth Deaton, the freshman kicker, has put the Panthers ahead of Shenandoah. 24-23. That was the last of three fourth quarter lead changes, and the win keeps Ferrum in play for the ODAC championship with just one loss to Randolph-Macon and a future date with ODAC leader Washington and Lee coming up. I'm sure we will get a three-way tie in the ODAC because that happens fairly often, except when it's a four-way tie. Surprise! My most surprising result from Saturday is from Texas, where Howard Payne had to come from behind and score with 89 seconds left to get past Southwestern and remain undefeated. I think I accidentally used the word undebeaten on this podcast once upon a time. And, you know, part of the old D3football.com around the nation drinking game was when one of us made up a word. No making up words. But I feel like undebeaten is a better word here because, man, Howard Payne barely remained on this list. Southwestern was up 17-14. They were throwing for the end zone with about three minutes left. And they had two receivers basically run the same route. They end up in the same spot. And, you know, that does not work couple of defenders there, pass was easily knocked away. So they settle for a 45-yard field goal attempt, and that hits about halfway up the right upright. So Howard Payne gets the ball back at its own 28 with 2.31 to go. And Landon McKinney ran a really good two-minute drill, going six for seven on the drive, completions for uh, like 16 yards, 20 yards, and another 20-yarder. The last of them, well, it sounded like this, at least on the Southwestern broadcast. Landon McKinney will bring Parker in motion. Got for him in the slot. McKinney drops back, looks to the right, has a receiver open for a touchdown. That's number two, Otis Lanier, who was able to get separation from Eli Norris on the edge as he got towards the goal line. He cut that route inside towards the middle of the field and was open. McKinney entered this drive just 10 for 23 passing for 93 yards on the afternoon, and he added another 72 yards in the touchdown. So Howard Payne, which has hopes of knocking off Harden-Simmons or Mary Harden-Baylor or both, rallied in the last minute and a half to defeat Southwestern. Southwestern fell to 1-5. and five. Uh, Really the first time we've seen Howard Payne blink this season. So, uh, My most surprising result from Saturday is Bowden defeating Amherst 21-14. Bowden had been trending in the right direction this season, but still had lost 14 consecutive games and 14 consecutive games to Amherst. That's a streak that dates back to 2005. Bowden looked destined to crack that streak sometime this season, but Amherst came in to this game three and one on the season and looked like an unlikely opponent for the Polar Bears to snap their losing streak. Bowden Athletics has the call on Amherst's final snap of the game. Peterson fires it. It's caught. Little handoff to Oxenhurt. They're going to try the old Stanford play, but they lose it. It's recovered, and a 14-game losing skid. Overall is over. A 14-game losing skid to Amherst. It's all over. It's coach B.J. Hammer's first win, and Bowden has knocked off Amherst by a score of 21 to 14. Student body, come on the field. What a huge win for this program. Bowden has found an effective trio of offensive stars this season. Quarterback Andrew Bull was 22 for 28 for 307 yards and three touchdowns. Wide receiver Colton Fahey caught five passes for 112 yards and two touchdowns. 
And running back Andre Eden ground out 105 yards on 31 carries for the Polar Bears. Bowden very well might start a winning streak next week when they host the 0-5 Tufts Jumbos. That's not my stat. Also, not going to be my stat. Not my stat. That may be the most incredible stat. Lots of things are not my stat, but this is my stat of the week. It's from the Worcester State Mass Maritime game where Worcester possessed the living daylights out of the ball through the first three quarters. 26-53 to 18-07. Those are minutes and seconds in case you couldn't understand what I was trying to read there. Anyway, they had very little to show for it as they entered the fourth quarter down 24-7 and they didn't even have the ball. That's when, I don't know, the reins came off of Aaron Moses Williams or Kevon Davis started getting open and the Lancers offense took off at a gallop. Williams threw three touchdown passes in the fourth quarter, all of them to Davis. On drives, it took just a minute 12, a minute 53, and this clock-burning buster of three minutes and 21 seconds as Worcester State rallied to win 28-24. to All of which goes to remind a gentle listener that time of possession alone does not win football games, nor does blazing speed. And uh, Williams finished 30 for 45 for 381 yards and the four touchdowns with no interceptions in the win. For my stat of the week, I'm going to let you know that Mount Union beat Capital on Saturday by a score of 63-0, to which is not at all surprising, nor is the mountain of impressive offensive statistics that Mount Union piled up against the Comets. That's right. Name change. While Mount Union was busy piling up 660 yards of offense with a sublimely balanced mix of pass and run, the Purple Raider defense allowed just 29 yards of total offense. That is not my stat. And zero first downs. Not one. This is reportedly the first time a team has been held without a first down since Case Western Reserve could not move the chains in a 1985 game against Worcester in a very early edition of the currently on hiatus Baird Brothers Trophy game, which is one of the cooler traveling trophies in Division Three. I digress. Mount Union, zero first downs allowed. That is worthy of my stat of the week. Stat of the week and a record that can never be broken, just like all of those 100-yard interception returns. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. That was the time on the podcast where we go to Twitter, and Twitter's just very angry at us about Howard Payne, or at least Howard Payne Twitter is very angry at us about Howard Payne. So let's just, let's deal with this again. Somebody tell me, and this is from at Dingle underscore Tyler, who is Tyler, Tyler Dingle. Somebody tell me why D3 football has... Oshkosh and John Carroll in their top 25, but 6-0 Howard Payne is outside the top 25 at 28th. First off, you are not ranked 28th. You cannot be ranked more than 25 in a top 25. You just have the 28th most votes. Who votes in these rankings? Well, okay, listen. You could look at the bottom of the list to see who votes in these rankings. We list who votes in these rankings. Yeah, right. Greg and I vote in these rankings. Eight media members, eight sports information directors, eight coaches, Scattered across the six wins now, not the four wins of Division Three football. Listen, here's the thing. Howard Payne has its important games yet to play. I am just like, it's been nice, Greg, to not have people from Albion talk to us about the top 25 for a couple weeks. It's been nice to not have anybody from Wabash for the last 48 hours, President Company excluded, Man. talk to us about the top 25. Um, I feel like there's one more team that has eliminated itself. And Merchant Marine folks, uh, we're waiting for them to play probably a week 12 game to see what goes on there. But uh, the Howard Payne folks are still sticking around even after they had to pull their you-know-whats out of the fire against a team that has won one game all season. Yeah, and there might there might have been some opportunity for Howard Payne to possibly slide into 
the top 25 this week, Wabash lost. So all of their votes evaporated and had to go somewhere. Um, but man, 21 to 17 against the one and five Southwestern team is not the sort of thing that is going to get you going. Um, you know, we saw they gained four points. That's that's pretty impressive considering what they did. Yeah, definitely. You could have lost. You could have lost ground by winning. Uh, Wisconsin lacrosse lost three pole positions uh, after winning a game. So, you know, for Howard Payne, they're like just patience, guys. Like you're going to get there. You're going to get your shot against Harden Simmons and you're going to get your shot against UMHB and show out in those games. You could even, you know, in a game against UMHB, that's not a game that Howard Payne has to win to jump up. Um, yeah. You know, so, but the voters need to see Howard Payne play some teams that are a little bit better than the teams that they've played so far. And that's, that's really all it is. It's really a strength of schedule situation. Yeah. Very backloaded schedule. Um, you know, the non-conference game is against Hendricks, which, you know, often is a result that might get some people's attention, but Hendricks this season is one in five. They're struggling a little bit. It is, um, yeah, that's all there is to it. Simply going undefeated is not a guarantee of getting into the top 25 poll. Howard Payne should be thankful that they have games on their schedule that can vault them into the top 25. And, and you know, like Greg said, you don't have to beat Mary Harden Baylor to get into our top 25 most uh, most likely. You probably have to win one of those two games. Um, I don't think that two close losses is going to make up for not having any uh, of those wins. But, you know, beat, for example, Harden Simmons, play Mary Harden Baylor respectably. I think there's a distinct possibility, but those games have to happen. We are not, the voters are just not, they're not fooled by this sort of thing. We have seen so many things like this before. Um, if, if, you know, if memory serves, Albion just a couple of weeks ago was in the Howard Payne position, right? Um, when we were waiting for them to play their better games or just run the table and that didn't happen. And that happens so many times. So just hold your yellow jackets hold your bees hold your stinger hold your stingers thank you that's it yeah but you know jason Bactel just getting started at howard Payne. landon mckinney is a young quarterback like they're they are maybe ahead of schedule i don't know like i think so the, but the top the top 25 is very is very very exclusive i think that's another another point that we'll bring we'll bring in the old the old keith mcmillan adage here like it's 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 twice as hard to be in the top 25 in division three than it is in division one. So yeah, if you want to reach out to us, you know how to do it. Twitter's a great way to do it. Use the D three FB hashtag. We'll put out the uh, bat signal on Sunday evenings and you have to pull yourself away from your NFL game or your playoff baseball game in order to actually tweet us. But we try to give you at least an hour's worth of uh, window in which to do so. Looking ahead to what's coming up in week eight. Ooh, week eight. Week eight sounds sounds very intriguing. Like we are getting somewhere. We're finally getting somewhere. My game to watch for week eight is going to come with a little bit of nostalgia uh, for me, and that's Catholic University at Merchant Marine. Hey, I don't know if Merchant Marine this year is good or great or what, and I don't know if Catholic can stop that option offense and, and quarterback Ian Blankenship, but I'm just going to take a moment and, you know, be happy that my alma mater is playing a relevant football game in October for the first time in a long time. These teams are tied for first in the new Mac. They're each unbeaten in the conference at three and zero, and it should be a fun time up at Kings point on Kings point. 
I don't remember how that uh, works, how you would refer to it, but I remember making that trip as a young broadcaster in 1994, the day everyone else remembers as the day Cordell Stewart threw that 64-yard Hail Mary to Michael Westbrook as Colorado beat Michigan on the final play. Um, and I also remember Catholic beating Merchant Marine that day, 36-34. Oh, heck, I remember the Colorado thing, too. I just look forward to seeing how that game turns out, and I wish I could be at Captain Tomb Field on Saturday. Maybe former D3Football.com broadcaster Ray Martell will be there and he can uh, send us some updates or something. Uh, Let's see. Next week, my game to watch is Westminster at number 11, Washington Jefferson. Despite last week's upset loss to Carnegie Mellon, Westminster isn't just playing spoiler in the pack. The Titans knocked off Washington Jefferson in the spring to claim the 2020-ish pack championship. And if they can do the deed again this weekend at W&J, they can shake up the pack race significantly. Keys to victory, cover President's wideout Andrew Wolf, and get a solid game from quarterback Cole Konitska, who did have the turnover bug in that loss to Carnegie Mellon. The Presidents still have challenging games ahead with Grove City and CMU, but dispatching the Titans would be a significant step toward a pack title and a return to the postseason. The roulette wheel is spinning. We've got 112 slots this week, and it lands in uh, number 51. 51 appears to be Muskingum at Otterbein. This is a game uh, in the in the four, a game in the four, region four, uh, a game in the OAC. Muskingum comes into this game three and three overall and two and three in the OAC. Otterbein comes in at 0 and 6, 0 and 5 off of a 52-19 loss to Heidelberg. Um, been kind of a struggle for Otterbein this season. Uh, they lost the opener to Ohio Wesleyan 32-28 and lost many other games by less favorable margins and Muskingum has been playing pretty well obviously I mean right we're not uh three and three and two and three is not exactly world beating but uh you know Muskingum has had a pretty good resurgence of late I think we talked about that on a previous podcast even Muskingum is the only team so far this season to beat Ohio Northern that was an impressive uh week two result for the Muskies uh let's see what have they done since They got blanked at Marietta. That's no good. Lost to Baldwin Wallace, who's back in the top 25 this week. Lost to John Carroll. Expected. So, you know, on par, I think you look at Muskingum as a favorite in this game, um, just given the way things are going in Westerville right now uh, with the tough season for the Cardinals. I'm already looking ahead. We have to pick a rivalry game, rivalry trophy for this one. I went and pulled up the map. I don't have a good road one. I was... Uh, you know, of course, and we just talked about war on 94 a lot last week, but that is the template that I have been using for some of these things. It is, you know, the, this one, this one feels like it should have a, a trophy. This, this feels like it could be a trophy game. I'm thinking something with the mascots. We can get creative here with the animals. Maybe uh, Otterbein Cardinals, Muskingum Muskies. Maybe you do like a commission somebody to create a red feathered muskie <laughs> the red feathered muskie i think that's the name of it right the red feathered muskie is what you have to play for that's what it is put it on a put it on a, a wooden block and parade it around the field right plaque that thing up absolutely <laughs> plaque that thing up i like it <laughs> yes plaque is now a verb i mean what are we kidding we verb nouns all the time on this podcast all right, simple enough. Well, that was uh, that was a little easier than sometimes it normally is. I was 
I was trying to come up with some combination of these guys have interesting colors. They're not super standard colors. It's black and magenta for Muskingum, and it's tan and tan and cardinal for Otterbein. It struck me because I don't know how many magentas, magente there are, and I don't know how many tans there are. All right, so Muskingum and Otterbein, they will be playing for the Red Feathered Muskie. That's right. You heard it here first. It's time for On the Spot. It's an even-numbered week. I think you uh, I think you put me on the spot first. I understand I'm supposed to know what's coming. You do. So um, behind the scenes, sometimes sometimes you have a key or two on your keyboard that goes haywire on you and it just doesn't show up. But And Pat... It goes haywire, but go it on. does go haywire. Pat, this week I want you to find me two winners, but I need you to give me those teams. Two winners, those teams. Names where... Uh, you're going to pronounce them to me in a way that uh, the keys on your keyboard do not work currently. And you can and you cannot avoid picking teams that just don't have G's or H's. I gotcha. Yeah, so that's the thing. I've, I've been working with this three-year-old laptop and only recently have realized, oh, this laptop's three years old and I should probably look at replacing it. And then within the past couple of weeks, at super inopportune times, the uh, the keys for G and H have stopped working. All right. So I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at the schedule for week eight, and so probably picking Wheaton to win where the H is silent is probably not in the spirit of uh, of this particular on the spot. Remember, we are entertaining here. <laughs> if I had uh, wanted to pick the uh, opponent in that game to win, I could pick Carte over Wheaton, but that's not a game that uh, that that's not a a decision that makes a lot of sense. So I'm going to start in the three. In the USA South, and I'm going to pick Untenden to beat Reensboro. I assume I should probably just continue the, the the bit all the way through, right? I like it. Untenden over Greensboro. That's a that's a game I feel comfortable with. Untenden is actually how some people pronounce that school's name. I don't have a good feeling about Bridewater or Wasenton and Lee in that game. I don't know if I can pick either of those teams to win. The Enerals are hot. Amline, Amlin, and Osper. Ooh, again. And that is a game for the Ammer. <laughs> that's that's the trophy they play for. All right. I don't have a I don't have a great uh, read on who's going to win that game, but I guess I still, with all of those things included, I have to take Osber over Amlin to retain. I believe. The Ammer Trophy. All right. On the spot for you, this is going to be called the Eye Test. And I'm going to ask you to pick a team that you've never seen to win a game on Saturday. Oh, a team that I've never seen play in person. I'm going to say, cause like when we played this game with Keith, it was a team you've never seen play in person. My understanding is that your travels are not exten- as extensive as Keith's were after like 16 years of doing around the nation. So why don't we go team you've never watched play online or in person. Ooh, okay. Ooh, this Are there is... enough of those teams? There, I do watch a lot on Saturdays. I am going to go with a little bit of, I'm going to go with a little bit of an upset here. Norwich, I've never seen play. Never watched Norwich play. I think they're going to go on the road and beat MIT. All right. Excellent. Okay, second half of this game 
is to pick a team you've seen more than once, and we'll say this in person. Pick a team you've seen more than once to lose. Ooh, more than once to lose. I test round two. This could be fun. I immediately look to see who DePa is playing. Um, you know, DePa probably they might they might be the best team in the North Coast right now. It's not mathematically eliminated, that's for sure. No, they're the only unbeaten team left in conference play. How are they not in the top twenty-five? It's true. It's true. Ooh, I'm going to pick... Um, ooh, this is going to be controversial. I'm going to pick Chapman to lose to Redlands. That might not even be super controversial. It's a it's a reasonable It is. I, that's, prediction. I think that's that could be... That's going to be a really good game out at the Runner. The Runner. Ted Runner Stadium in Redlands, California. Out on the... I've already forgotten again because we just talked about it a couple weeks ago. On the 10... Uh, yes, the runner, uh, the runner is sort of between the 10 and the 210. That's on the spot. Uh, in spot check, we go back and see how we did in uh, last week's on the spot. And last week, I asked Greg to play a game called Al Mullen, where he had to pick two winners, but mispronounced the names of winner and loser as if he were, you know, hypothetically, an ESPN anchor who didn't know anything about Division Three. And this still happens. I heard a D3 coach mispronounce Muhlenberg just on a Thursday afternoon. That has not gone away. Greg had great pronunciations, but uh, went one for two on his predictions. He correctly picked Monmouth to beat Belois. Belois is Beloit, for those of you who don't speak French. Uh, he picked Utica to win, where, in fact, it was Sonny Brockport coming away with the win under the lights. And last week, I asked Pat to pick three winners from teams with four letters or less in their names, and Pat flexed his four-letter word knowledge with three winners. Dean came from behind to beat Keystone 39-36, to and that's the first time we've been able to say that. Hope defeated Olivet 31-16 to to stay undefeated in MIAA play, and Knox ran away from Grinnell 49-28. to I kind of keep waiting for this game between Dean and Kane. It's the Lois and Clark Bowl. But, uh, we have yet to have that. And I often have thoughts that come in four-letter words. Every thought of yours is a friend of mine. I'm sure Delaware Valley fans had some four-letter thoughts of their own on Saturday when they saw Mike Nobile get hurt, hop off the field on one leg, and then later get carted off the sidelines not to return. Obviously, he's not the only standout on that defense. He's not even the only Nobile. But for DelVal to go deep in the playoffs without him will definitely be a challenge. What was not a challenge was stopping FDU Florham in that 61-7 win on Saturday. The North Coast Athletic Conference is fixing to get weird after Worcester defeated Wabash 44-41 on Saturday. The Scots survived a 670-yard offensive day by the Little Giants. That's the second-highest single-game output in Wabash history to capture their second straight win over the Little Giants in this series. In 2019, the North Coast Tri-Champions each had two losses, and this conference is starting to get a little odaki with its unpredictability. Alex Koga had a busy day for Lewis and Clark as the Pioneers picked up a 43-41 win against Willamette. Koga, 5-for-5 on field goals, three of them under 30 yards, but two of them 37-yarders, and that included a key kick with a buck 24 left that gave Lewis and Clark a nine-point lead. Koga also 4-for-4 and extra points for a total of 19 points in that victory. 
And for the late night crowd, Chapman defeated previously undefeated Cal Lutheran 42 to 13 on Saturday night. Chapman has a rematch coming with CMS to atone for their earlier non-Skyac loss this season, but dispatching Cal Lutheran sets up next week's Chapman at Redwood game as a probable Pool A decider. We're only going to see one team from the Skyac in this year's tournament, and it will most likely be Saturday night's winner out at the runner. So when you're tweeting about that game, make sure you use the new hashtag that we came up for, uh, you know, the equivalent of Pac-12 after dark. I have to credit Logan Hansen uh, at Loghan Ratings for coming up with hashtag D3 SoCal so late. There were three games at 10 p.m. on Saturday night, obviously all of them in the Southern of California. I think we're all uh, under the lights this week coming up as well. Uh, I'm just collecting pass-run quarterback combos, too, if you've been listening to the podcast for the past few weeks. Here's another great one. I'm going back to the three. Landon Cotney of Huntington. On Saturday, he led the Hawks to a 30-25 win against Averett. No scorigami in that one. There's been a 30-25. Uh, he completed an effective 16-22 passes for 223 yards and touchdown, while also running 22 times for 128 yards and two, and two scores. Looks pretty smooth, but if you don't think doing that against Averett is a big deal, try on this for size. Uh, 15 for 32 for 187 yards and two touchdowns and 17 carries for 164 yards and a touchdown. That's week one against UW Oshkosh. And then before we go, a little extra sympathy, advice, bit of helping hand for Colin Schutz, the quarterback at UW-Platteville, the guy who did the kneeling instead of the spiking. We figured we'd get another coach's take on that. And for that, we go back to Kyle Rooker, the head coach at North Park. Here's what he would say if a quarterback on his team made that mistake. Yeah, Pat, I, I did hear about that, and, and I really feel for for that young man in their program. Um, you know, I mean, the, the first thing I would tell him is that you know I love him, and, and that everybody makes mistakes, and, and hopefully we we learn from this. And ultimately, we would have never been in the position to even have a chance to kick that game-winning field goal without your performance up until that time. You know, you played a great game. You gave us an opportunity to win it, and. Um, you know, it's an unfortunate circumstance how it ended up, but we believe in you and we're going to move forward with you and win a lot of football games with you as our quarterback. And this is Around the Nation podcast number 290, released on October 18th of 2021. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on our continuing coverage throughout this Division Three football season. It has not yet been lost on me that we actually are having a season in which we've had like 99.3% of the games played. All apologies to Martin Luther in Finlandia from this past week. Anyway, you can support production of this podcast and the entire D3Sports.com family of websites in general by visiting patreon.com slash D3Sports. But even if you can't afford to support us in a financial way, you can certainly help us out by telling a friend, tell a classmate, tell a fellow alum of your favorite D3 school about the show, tell the parents at your tailgate or on the Facebook group. We know there are Facebook groups. We see you guys doing them all the time. I mean, it's not like that's a bad thing. I, I joined a couple of them myself. Nobody's ever asked why I'm in the Hobart fans and parents group. You can do that. You can also rate and review us in the various places where people do the rating and reviewing of podcasts. You can reach us to talk more about Division 3 football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football. Greg is at Wally Wabash. We have a message board devoted to Division 3 sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering the post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is Power 2 by DJ Mentos. We use more tracks from him as well. You can find them at DJMentos.com as well as on Spotify. 
Thanks to Kyle Rooker. Thanks to Sports Information Director Tyler Woolbright. Thanks to Frank Rossi for doing all those interviews at Muhlenberg. You can see all of that stuff on uh, D3FB Huddle and Frank's personal Twitter account. There's lots of extra stuff from around the one and around the two. I know for some reason other regions as well. Um, thanks to those guys. Thanks to Greg Thomas, my co-host, and thanks to the originator, the originator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com, Keith McMillan. I'm like, I'm very interested to hear what Kyle Rooker has to say. I'm gonna have to tune in. So, do you, do you get like bonus Rayshon Boswell highlights in that Hobart Facebook group? Because I might sign up. Rayshon Boswell's fun. That was such a strange game. Obviously, the rain, big deal up in the uh, in the upstate, right? Uh, that Hobart RPI game was affected by it. Ithaca and St. Lawrence was delayed by 45 minutes because of uh, thunderstorms, and that game's played on grass. There'll be a time to uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.